hey, you know, I'm here because I want to make a medicine that treats someone like my grandmother or my grandfather. And if I don't do it, it ain't going to get done. Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast, where you can learn from entrepreneurs and investors who are driving progress in healthcare and life science around the globe. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Alex Merwin from AWS. Ever notice how some people seem to be naturally resistant to certain diseases? Today, we're diving into the world of natural protective antibodies with Alchemab Therapeutics. Alchemab is developing a pipeline of antibody therapeutics for hard-to-treat cancers, near-degenerative conditions, and infectious diseases. Amrita Sarkar from our team speaks with Young Kwan, the CEO of Alchemab, about his journey, the company's unique approach to drug discovery, and how technology is accelerating their progress. Let's dive in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast. My name is Amrita Sarkar, and I'm a principal on the AWS Healthcare and Life Sciences Startups team, where I have the pleasure of working with the founders and investors behind some of the world's most innovative healthcare and life sciences startups and help them resolve their technology, business, regulatory, and go-to-market challenges. I'm a mathematician and computational biologist by training and was a life sciences venture capital investor for a number of years before joining AWS about four years ago. It is my pleasure to welcome Young Kwan, CEO of Alchemab, on the podcast today. Hi, Young. Welcome. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about the unique approach that Alchemab is taking in harnessing the power of antibodies from resilient patient cohorts to develop therapies for hard-to-treat diseases? Absolutely. I'd be happy to. Alchemab is a very interesting company in that we start with this idea that there are people out there who are resilient to disease, that because of their immune system, they're actually able to fight off diseases that may be impacting other people in a very significant way. And we're all used to thinking about the immune response as it relates to infectious disease. So we think about COVID and testing for COVID antigen and things like that, because we know our immune system is designed to fight pathogenic infectious diseases. However, it can actually also fight other chronic diseases that people don't think about. And Alchemy was founded to discover these antibodies from people who are fighting these diseases and to identify those and develop those as therapeutics for patients with disease. Some fascinating science there. And sw- switching gears a little bit, can you tell us a little bit about your own journey, starting out as a trained biochemist and then navigating a, a long career in the pharma industry before finally joining Alchemab as a CEO? Absolutely. So I started off doing graduate work at uh, Harvard Medical School. I was my PhD advisor's first student. And so I had a great experience in the lab doing research and a lot of great projects and doing a lot of great science. But I always felt that there was more to this industry than studying a protein or a pathway. And I really wanted to get involved in biotech and the industry at a different level. I had always been interested in strategy and business development and how companies work together to develop medicines. And so I've always had that overarching interest, but didn't really know how to get there from where I was, which was on the bench. So 
after my PhD, I did a short stint in healthcare consulting. And that was my first exposure to the industry, you know, the world outside of the lab. And it was a really great opportunity to learn a lot about companies' problems. And that's why they hire consultants and be able to get exposure to the industry. From there, I had the opportunity to work in venture capital and investing in early stage biotech and device companies as part of a, a group called, called Advanced Technology Ventures, which was a bi-coastal fund. And there I was able to learn a lot about science and how it gets put together into companies to really form the innovation engine for our industry. After a while, it, it became clear that to continue to be better at that kind of thing, it would really help to go work in a company. And done at that point. So I ended up going to Biogen in business development. And this was a phenomenal opportunity because Biogen was a company that was at that time going through some turmoil, but it was a global company that had commercial medicines for multiple sclerosis mainly. And what I really enjoyed about that experience was being a part of a company that delivered medicines to patients every day. And oftentimes, one of the bits of advice I give to people is go work in a company that actually sells medicine, that actually has successfully gone from discovery through commercialization, because you get to see how hard it is to actually innovate and all the steps it takes to deliver medicine to patients. It's an incredible journey. And I was lucky enough to be a part of a company that had done that already and was continuing to, to do that. So that was a lot of fun. And then after that, I got to um, join a company called Momenta Pharmaceuticals, which was a biotech in the Cambridge, Massachusetts area, which was a really phenomenal business that was doing complex generics, biosimilars, and novel therapies. And I joined initially as a head of business development. And during my tenure there, I was there for about 10 years, ultimately became chief financial officer and chief business officer. And so I got the chance to learn a ton of, of things and work with a, a really wonderful team led by a CEO named Craig Wheeler, who's a phenomenal leader. And ultimately, after achieving some clinical success, we sold the company to J&J in 2020. So that was a good outcome and a good ability for us to put this one of the lead products in the hands of a company that can do phenomenal things with it. And so I had this chance to evolve really from the science side on the bench all the way through to being really deeply involved in leadership, and executive development and doing really fun transactions. And now as CEO of, Al of Alchemab, I get to apply a lot of what I've learned all along the way into this fun little company. That's amazing. Yeah, it's a, quite a, it's a, the trajectory is very complete, I would say, having looked at life sciences, not just as a scientist and, and a researcher, but also as a consultant and investor pharma executive, and then eventually the CEO of a startup. So you've, you've covered the, the whole range, and I'm sure that impacts the way you lead as a CEO every day. We'll have a question for you at the end about your perspective um, as a CEO and any advice you might have for, for folks listening. But for now, I'm interested in why you started working on neurodegenerative disorders and cancer at Alchemab. From a scientific perspective, what about these classes of diseases renders them particularly interesting for your approach? Absolutely. So 
neurodegenerative disorders, I think today, are one of the biggest challenges uh, of our time. I would say that we've made a lot of headway in cancers. Of course, there's many that are still untreated in terms of having success in them, but many great successes in cancer have been achieved to date. And I would say in neurodegeneration, particularly diseases like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's disease or Huntington's diseases, these diseases are quite tragic in the sense that they are neurodegenerative. There is a course of disease that is unrelenting. And over the course of decades, even though we've identified some of the causes of these to some degree, we still haven't been able to crack them. And so there are many challenges with treating diseases like Alzheimer's. Of course, there have been some recent innovations with the approval of the beta amyloid antibodies, but we're still a long ways away from treating this disease. And so the reason why we chose it was because we feel that Alchemab has a very unique offering. What we're actually looking for in diseases like Alzheimer's or other dementias is we're looking at individuals who have some level of, of resilience to the disease despite having genetic features that might suggest that they should have had the disease by now. So we're looking for outliers that seem to be protected, which may be, mean they're resisting it. And we take their profiles to look for their antibodies. And so we think that this is a place where if we can identify these really in interesting individuals who are able to fight this disease, wouldn't that be a really great area to find unique therapeutic options that haven't been found before? The innovations we have today around beta amyloid, these ideas were first considered three or four decades ago. So the pace of innovation has actually not matched what we actually would, would aspire for, I think, as an industry. And so we think we have a unique opportunity in neurodegenerative disorders to find these antibodies in different resilient neurodegenerative patient populations and then bring those to patients. So that's really the reason for neuro, in particular because of the challenges of finding good targets and good potential therapeutics in that area. For cancer, as I mentioned, there's been a lot of innovation, but yet still there are many oncology disorders that have very poor survival rates. And so we think of two in particular like that. One is pancreatic cancer, where the median survival is really about 10 or 12 months. But there are people who survive seven or 10 years after diagnosis, after treatment. And one of the questions that we think about is, well, why are those people able to survive when others succumb, most succumb pretty quickly? And what we have found is that there are individuals who are resilient to this, who have generated their own antibodies that are unique to these resilient individuals that are likely involved in helping them survive. So we're not necessarily saying that these antibodies are the only thing that matter, but we believe that they're an important contributor. And one of the key proofs of concept that we have is that some of these individuals have antibodies that today are used commercially to treat different cancers. We have found checkpoint inhibitors, angiogenesis inhibitors, cytokine inhibitors, and others. And we know today that these pathways are important, not only clinically, but commercially to treat many cancers. So it's a very interesting proof of concept that we can take these resilient cancer patients and find antibodies that one would actually see as their targets and say, yeah, that makes sense. And that's one of the really cool aspects about our platform is that while we're focusing on neurodegeneration and cancer, 
we think that the potential is boundless. You know, we can work on many different disorders. And so long as there's a, an idea around the involvement of antibodies, then we think that we have an opportunity to identify those using our core platform, which I know we'll get into. Amazing. To double click on, on what you just said, let's say you've taken the blood sample from these patients and you've sequenced the sample, the blood sample for the whole antibody repertoire um, across tens of thousands of patients. So how are you now leveraging computational methods to cluster what I imagine will be huge data sets? So one of the things that we do in our platform in terms of the antibody repertoire is we do deep sequencing of that repertoire, particularly the so-called heavy chain, which is one of the components of the antibody. And we're looking for what we think are probably pretty rare events. These resilient antibodies we think aren't going to be everywhere. And so on a per individual basis, we'll often sequence between 100,000 to a million different antibodies. So that's actually a pretty good level of depth of the repertoire. And so one of the interesting challenges is if you have 100,000 or a million antibodies per person, multiply that by a cohorts of 10 or 20 or 100, now you're talking really large data sets. And so what we're looking for is something which is unique to the resilient individuals. And so one question one might consider is, well, how do you define unique? You have maybe you know 10 million different sequences. They may all look different. So how do you define what's unique? We cluster them computationally to look for different related antibodies. And ultimately, we're looking for those related antibodies that are present in the resilient individuals that separate away from the disease progressors, which we also sequence, as well as controls, which we sequence as well. So ultimately, there's a huge computational effort to identify these unique antibodies, which involves not only, of course, the computational work, but the insights from the scientists to think about what are the criteria which define uniqueness. And, and we know a lot about how antibodies are developed, and those characteristics about antibody development are some of the criteria we use in our computational work to basically separate out different groups so that ultimately, once we start with, say, 10 million sequences, we can distill that down through computational work to get down to maybe 100 unique antibody sequences that we would then do the hard work of, which is to make them in the lab and test them. So there's a huge computational lift, and that's one of the core elements of our platform technology is the expertise not only to sequence these 10 things, but also to actually analyze that. And that's actually a, a core tenet of our platform technology. I'm curious as to your take on the pace at which different dimensions of let's say, innovation across science, machine learning, and tech have evolved. To, to give you a concrete example, you were just talking about, scientifically speaking, innovations in the field of neurodegenerative disorders and our understanding of cancers, how some of that is, is not that recent and has been around for a while. Then we've got, from a machine learning perspective, transformer models that people are exploiting more than ever before plus the availability of compute resources thanks to the cloud, uh, which is just unprecedented. To what extent have these three individually or, or the convergence of these three allowed a, a company like Alchemab to, to achieve your vision? I would say they've been really critical to help us accelerate our understanding of what we do. We have a publication on a, a model called Antiberta, which are 
team put out there a couple of years ago. And I would say that the pace of innovation has been really high in antibody uh, work in this area. And this has been a really cutting edge because if you think about some of the work around understanding structure of proteins, that's actually been pretty straightforward comparatively, leveraging different tools to be able to predict protein structure. But antibodies are a very unique challenge because first, they're composed of two different components, a heavy chain and a light chain, each of which contributes to the binding against an antigen, which is the business of what these antibodies do. And that surface may not only be in one chain, it may be in both. And so we know that our antibody diversity, the theoretical diversity that a human can create is well over probably 10 to the 12. So we're talking about something which is incredibly diverse potential. And so the established AI machine learning tools around protein structure have not yet really been applied and, and leveraged in the same way for antibodies. So that's what we're doing is we're really at the cutting edge of that. And the pace of innovation there is incredibly high. What we do with that technology is several fold. One element of it is to help us find that so-called needle in the haystack, that unique resilient antibody. But we also use machine learning to help us understand what could related antibodies look like. So if we're converting these amino acid sequences into numbers, right, in our, in our computational work. But then what we want to do is to figure out, can the com computer, uh, can the computational resources help us understand what other antibodies could look like that bind to the same antigen? That's really cutting edge. And so it takes a lot of compute to be able to run large data and algorithms through in order to take enough data, which is the, the thing that, that we have to generate, it's hard to come by, to be able to have the computational resources to be able to be able to come back and predict what other antibody sequences could be that bind to the same thing. We think about this as so-called functional clustering. And so these are really important for us because we do these things along every step of our discovery process. We have the computational work and the lab work. It's a very modern discovery approach. And then ultimately, we're using machine learning to help us put together an antibody. We actually are using it to help us predict what could be a, a good antibody structure. And that's really where I think some of the holy grail is of these approaches, is to be able to develop an antibody almost in silico that does a lot of the heavy lifting. Now, of course, a lot of the validation work is really where the rubber hits the road of testing things in the lab to make sure they work. But our work on the computational side is critical to help us not only look at large amounts of data, but to be able to analyze that and help us make smarter predictions about what antibodies could be binding to what, especially as we grow our own data along the way. From the perspective of um, increasing accuracy and, and shortening the time uh, for development, I assume. Absolutely. Yeah. It's accuracy is key because uh, the more accurate we can be, the less lab work we have to do to validate the things. So accuracy is key. And uh, of course, Speed of development is important because if we're able to leverage the tools to be able to make fewer things in the lab, we can actually go faster. Absolutely. Um, speaking um, as, as the leader of, of Alchemab, uh, can you talk about uh, some of the preclinical programs that you've set up as well as any pharma partnerships that may be relevant? Absolutely. So we actually have three programs which are all around a similar stage that are preclinical. 
each of them, we actually have not only in vitro evidence for the mechanism of how these antibodies work, but also we have recently obtained in vivo evidence. So this is working with different mouse models to be able to validate that not only can our antibodies get into the brain of these mice, but also engage the target in the brain and manipulate them in a way that we can actually see some efficacy. And so those are non-trivial things about using antibodies because they need to cross the blood-brain barrier and then get into the brain and actually do something in a mouse. So we've done that for each of the programs. So of the three, one of them targets Huntington's disease, which is a neurodegenerative disorder that is a devastating genetic disorder. We have a unique antibody, which we think could be used to prevent seeding and aggregation of this toxic species called Huntington. It's actually a mutant. It's the mutation that affects this gene and this protein actually aggregates and does other things. So that's one of the programs that we have that we're continuing to do work on at the preclinical stage. The second one targets a protein called CD33. And this actually is one that's expressed in in the CNS on microglia, which are basically the immune system, immune cells in the brain, which are involved in taking up debris and pathogenic proteins out of the environment. They're almost like the macrophages in the brain. And then the third program, which is one that we're particularly excited about even more than the others to some degree, targets a certain pathway that's involved in regulation of axon guidance and synaptic formation. These are in the so-called netrin pathway. And we have an antibody which targets a netrin receptor, which is involved in protecting neurons from death. And we think helping to restore synaptic plasticity, which we think could be involved in cognition, which is affected in neurodegenerative disorders. So we have these three programs that are applicable across different diseases. We think primarily, I mentioned Huntington's disease, but also Alzheimer's and other dementias. We think those are the places where some of these molecules will be able to play. And one of the beauties of our platform is that we have targets that we've identified coming up behind those. And we have a, a kind of an endless, bountiful platform that is emanating things. So for us, pharma partnerships are going to be very important to advance what we do because as a small company, it's difficult to do everything. We have feel like kids in the candy store sometimes because of the really interesting antibodies and targets we find and where those point us to. But it's pretty clear that we're going to need to develop some partnerships with pharmaceutical companies, which we're actively involved in uh, considering right now to help us advance both certain programs that we have, as well as to focus on certain disease areas that are untapped. So one of the things I mentioned about our platform is that we can work in different areas. And at some level, we're interested in working with pharma to say, work on a specific disease and that we would discover antibodies and targets for that disease specifically, and then we would hand them over. So we have a, a platform that we think is very partnerable, and we're looking right now at different kinds of transactions to ensure that we can maximize the potential of the platform and ultimately deliver you know, more medicines to patients than a small company like ours could do by ourselves. This is a good segue to my next question, which is what are some ongoing scientific technology and business challenges that you have to contend with as you continue to grow as a company? For us, it's what's really interesting is that 
we have so many ideas that come from our platform is how do you tackle them all? And one of the, the, the challenges for us technically is that every time we identify a really interesting new target or antibodies associated with resilience, it may have its own biology. And so we have to become experts in that biology and develop assays specific to that target and that antibody. And that can be a lot of work. So we have a small cadre of really excellent neuroscientists who have the ability to work on different kinds of targets. But it's non-trivial to say, okay, we're going to do this new thing. We're going to learn everything about that new thing and be experts in it. And not only that, we're going to develop medicine that targets that. So that's a really interesting challenge that we have on the scientific side. On the, the technical side, I would say that as we continue to make advances on the computational side in, in machine learning, then compute becomes, or access to compute these days is actually going to be a challenge, especially with the emergence of the generalized AI technologies being applied. There is obviously a very high demand for compute to be able to solve all the challenges that every company is now looking to solve. And I think that ultimately for smaller companies, that will be a challenge in getting access to compute time uh, in order to be able to solve these really important things that we do in the context of a world where everyone is looking to develop and apply generalized AI technologies across almost every industry. So it's an amazing time for all of us to be exposed to this. And as a company, we need to be able to get our slice of technology in order to be able to try and make new medicines, which is obviously what we think is very important. Okay, so my next question basically relates to your role as a CEO. You, you of course, are based out of Boston, but you have a lot of people on your team who operate out of the UK. So can you share some tips or strategies that helped you build a good team and culture at Alchemab, especially when it came to recruiting on both sides of the Atlantic? So when I joined the company a couple of years ago, there was actually a leadership team in the UK that was in place. Many of them had known of each other and worked together in prior companies. And so there was actually a really good nucleus of leadership in the UK which helped. And one of the reasons why I joined the company was because I could see even in Zoom meetings that there was a vibrant culture. And in my experience at Momenta, one of the, probably the key determinant of our success over the many years I was there was the robust culture. And the importance of the culture can't be overstated. Companies in biotech go through so many ups and downs and what I have found is that if you have a robust culture, that really helps to absorb some of the challenges. And if you have people that want to be together, they want to work together, they enjoy the day-to-day, -day, then I think companies can survive a lot of the, the challenges. You know, as we know, this industry is a very long-term game. And what I tell people in our company is, you really have to enjoy coming into work and working with these people because... That is the experience that's in front of us. Making medicines, that could be 10 years away, you know, in terms of getting something to patients. So it's the journey along the way, which is critical. And if people are enjoying the culture, then that actually helps a lot to the success of it. So I always tell people that not only are they integral to developing culture, they have a responsibility to be a part of it. Because if everyone contributes to it, then we can actually create that culture, which will help us navigate what's always a challenging business in biotech. 
My final question to you would be to offer some advice to people listening today. A, a lot of our listeners are young founders in, in the life sciences or aspiring founders. And given your very deep and wide experience from academia to investment, all the way to being the CEO of Alchemab today, what do you think are some critical things for a founder in the life sciences to keep in mind today? I, I think one of them we've talked about, which is culture. And I feel that leadership has a responsibility to be good stewards of culture, but culture can't come top down. So I think that really thinking about what does good look like? How do you foster an environment that people want to show up? They like being there. They like their colleagues, but not afraid to challenge. That's a key part of it. I would say the other key part is having leaders who have had some experience seeing the things that have happened before. So this industry, because of the very long life cycles, it, there, are, it, there's a, there are people who have been through that, but there are a lot of folks that are pretty new to drug development. And it, drug development doesn't really change a lot. It's, it is pretty similar today as it was before. Now, maybe innovations in clinical trials and technology and all that, but a lot of the tenets of our industry are in place. And I think having people who've seen the movie before that you can bring in to help navigate is critical because being able to anticipate business and scientific challenges is what good leaders do. And I think that being able to attract good leaders into the business. And then as a CEO, I think the advice is get out of their way. My job is to be a partner to my senior leaders to help them think through issues, but I'm not going to do any of their jobs, right? I have the job of CEO. They have the, their own roles. And so giving people opportunity, uh, empowering them to lead, helping them to shape the organization, that's the fun part, I think, for what I'm doing now is I get to be that coach, that partner of theirs, but not to try and do their jobs because if I did, they wouldn't be there. They wouldn't want to be there if I was trying to do all their jobs. So I think that the role of the CEO is really to help manage a great team. And so I think having a great team is a key part of it, building culture, and then trying to change the world. I think that at the companies I've been at, we actually talk about trying to change the world. And that sounds glib, but if you have people that have that mentality, who like what they do with the people they do it, and they, as a scientist, may recognize their leadership is bought into it, then there's nothing you can't do, right? It's just time to do it. So it makes it a lot of fun to work with people that really want to make a big impact. And making that big impact is something that I think goes from at every level of the organization, you know, I'm here because I want to make a medicine that treats someone like my grandmother or my grandfather. And if I don't do it, it ain't going to get done. You know, that kind of mentality and fostering that kind of culture, I think is the most critical role of leadership and also the most fun. Because if you can create that, then it's fun to see what happens. Yang, it's been a pleasure. I'm hosting you on the podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by. It's been wonderful to speak with you. Thank you so much for having me. Have a okay. great day. Bye. You too. Take care. Thanks for joining us today for the AWS Health Innovation Podcast. If you want to get in touch with AWS, please check out our show notes where you can find a link. If you enjoy the podcast, the best way to support us is to share it with your colleagues and friends. We also really appreciate your reviews and ratings wherever you listen to podcasts. We love hearing feedback from our listeners, so please don't hesitate to get in touch. Again, you'll find all the details in our show notes. See you next week.